Welcome to Enforcement and Compliance in Academic Research, a podcast series presented by Choate Holland Stewart, discussing the latest trends and other significant developments in related government investigations and regulatory compliance. Hi, this is Christine Savage. We're back again with Dr. Brenda Gerald for part two of our conversation about international collaborations. In today's episode, we're going to get Brenda's reaction to a number of recent federal initiatives, including the president's recent executive order impacting visas for overseas researchers, as well as two pending bills in the Senate that may significantly impact the ability to collaborate internationally going forward. The first, um, and probably the, the easiest to comment on, is the executive order that the president issued on June 22nd that restricts the issuance of certain visas, including H-1B visas, uh, frequently used in science and technology areas, and L-1 visas for sort of senior level executives, even if they're staying within the same company, uh, but restricting their ability to come into the United States for the rest of the year. And I know from my end, what I'm hearing is a concern that there are, you know, postdocs in academia and other places who, you know, went home for holidays in November and December, you know, got stuck, whether it's in China or elsewhere, you know, their visas expired, and now they can't come back for the rest of the year. Have any of your clients sort of experienced issues or problems, or are they anticipating those based on that executive order? Uh, Yes, they have in, in two different ways, I would say. One way is, as you're just as you're suggesting, the renewal of existing visas. Either people went home, or people just did an application to renew um, in a, a standard way that has worked for them however many times, and it was denied. So a fair number of people of researchers who are not able to continue have to leave the country or cannot come back into it. So it has not been an immobilizing problem, but it's something I have heard of, you know. A handful of clients have had that experience with specific individuals. But also, as it happens, I have several clients who were in the process of establishing U.S. research centers. And the plan was either, you know, they bought a U.S. company or they were starting on their own. So they're ex-U.S. companies, most of them European-based. and But they were planning to transplant a group of their researchers from the, whatever the host country is at the moment, to integrate with the U.S. team in order to establish their their uh, platform in the U.S. and that just can't happen. Um, so I have two or three clients who've had to put that process on hold, and that is going to impact their ability to get their technology, whether it's therapy or diagnostic or whatever, get it distributed in the U.S. and so on because they planned for that and they can't do it. So it absolutely has had an impact. So then there are two um, bills that recently have been introduced in Congress, one I think far more controversial than the other that I would just love to get your reaction to. So the first is the Secure Campus Act, and that got introduced in May by a couple of senators, unlike the executive order that we just talked about that's slated to run out at the end of 2020. This act, if it were adopted would make broader immigration restrictions permanent, and it specifically targets China, sort of unlike the executive order, in that it would prohibit Chinese nationals, and I, and I you know, use those words deliberately because it is based on nationality, uh, from getting visas for graduate or postgraduate studies in any STEM field and would restrict their participation in foreign talent recruitment programs, whether current or historical. So 
you know, if someone had participated in a program uh, in their home country two or three years ago, but was no longer a participant, they would also be restricted from coming here. It would also require those individuals who have been in talent programs to register as foreign, <laughs> foreign agents, which seems a little extreme to me. What potential impact do you see on the industry if STEM fields on the whole are forbidden you know, for anyone coming from China? Oh, it, it would be enormous. I mean, if you just walk through any lab in any academic environment, there are an, an enormous number of incredibly talented Chinese nationals who are here training. It's one of those situations where, of course, I think we've all read in the news some of the stories of very, very difficult experiences where um, certain individuals have been involved in uh, programs with the Chinese government that have involved quite intentionally trying to move technology from the U.S. to China to compete with uh, U.S. institutions and, and protect technology there first in, in ways that are very problematic, that the proposed solution is to ban all Chinese nationals from those fields is frankly tragic in my perspective. Um, and, and it would be a very, very significant impact on our industry, I think. I worry too that, that it, it effectively will cause a reverse brain drain, you know, that we have folks who are halfway through their training here, who have real promise, who might otherwise stay here in the United States and help develop technologies here. They are then effectively forced um, to go home. Some of them would have anyway. Now yeah, or importantly, to go elsewhere that. in the world, right? Go to yeah. Europe, go to other places where they're welcome. And and I will say that, you know, the European pharmaceutical and, and uh, diagnostic and biotech industry generally has been flourishing and thriving. And some contribution to that has been some of the more restrictive decisions, that legal decisions that have occurred in the U.S., including, for example, inability to protect certain diagnostic technologies and so on. That's unique to the U.S., so a lot of that work is now being done outside. So, you know, Canada, Europe, lots of other places, in addition to, as you say, staying in China, absolutely very talented people will go elsewhere and do great things without us. It's unfortunate, and my own personal hope is that that does not proceed any further than it already has. Agreed. You'd um, like to see that there that we could implement policies that will address, let's call it bad behavior and solve that without, you know, throwing away the baby with the bathwater, as it were. No, agreed. So the third, and I think this one has a much greater chance of passing, is the Safeguarding American Innovation Act. And that's bipartisan legislation that's been introduced by I think 14 Senate co-sponsors. Uh, it's also been vetted via the NIH, NSF, and other large federal funding agencies to effectively make it a crime not to disclose foreign support in a grants application or a progress report when the federal government here in the United States is paying for a substantial, if not all, of the research that's being done. And so I think to your point, you know, sort of gets at the idea of let's look for not even just bad behavior, but secret behavior. Yeah. Let's encourage people to tell us where they're getting their support. And then the government can make an informed decision as to whether or not they want to continue to fund the research or place restrictions on the research, but it's not prohibiting the research you know, more generally. You know, this is something that right now is not a crime. And so some of the cases that you were mentioning where there are academics 
throughout the country who are being investigated, if not prosecuted, for having undisclosed ties to foreign governments, predominantly China. You know, they're bringing wire fraud charges or mail fraud charges or, you know, tax related charges. This would actually make it a specific crime not to disclose the necessary information in a grant application. And their the proposal is to really add some teeth to this with you know punishment of up to five years in jail or five years of debarment. Um, so you know even if you don't go to jail, no one's giving you money to do research for a you know a sizable period of time. And instead of a blanket prohibition on people coming into the country, you know, it would give the State Department the ability to deny a visa, you know, if they think that someone is specifically seeking access to a technology where that we have a concern about. So it's, you know, more narrowly targeting the behavior and, and putting, frankly, the onus on not just individual faculty members or researchers, but it's going to require a lot of work on the part of universities um, and other research institutions to get certifications from people to really ask questions. You know, when you're not doing work for me, what is it that you're doing? And where yeah, is it that you're doing it? <laughs> I agree that I think this is a much better attempt to catch the behavior we're trying to stop rather than just the humans, which is never desirable. What I also like about the approach is, as you say, it kind of asks everybody involved, like, don't be lazy. Recognize you have a responsibility. You're receiving public fun funding or you're asking to receive public funding. When you ask for that, you have an obligation to be disciplined and attentive about the work that's being done the and how it's being done and the people and relationships that are involved in it and it sort of goes back to what we were talking about even in the in the companies that are collaborating it's know who you're involved with and who they're involved with and have it be transparent so that people can make good decisions whether it's the federal government about funding you or other people about collaborating with you, you know, the, if information, as you say, it's the secrecy that's a problem, partly because people may not even recognize risks that they're walking into until somebody else says, hey, you know, I observe this, and have you thought about that potentially being problematic? And, and so having people pay attention and look for things and share that information um, is beneficial. Obviously, tailoring the punishments and who is at risk of getting punished and you know what are fines and what are imprisonment and so on becomes important but i think it's a more thoughtful and and potentially effective approach than just denying visas across the board i think the hope too one other feature of that particular proposal is that the state department will be required to issue a list of the talent programs or other types of institutions that they believe are doing something either nefarious or suspect that might impact funding. And my hope is that that will enable both individuals to really think about who they're partnering with, but will also facilitate universities in conducting reviews to do that in a more informed way. If you have hundreds of different names for programs, half of which are legit and half of which are not, and no one's helping you figure out which ones are on the okay list, that's a pretty tall order for an academic institution. So we'll see, we'll see what the government can come up with. Yeah, I agree. I think, again, it's the same, you know, having the information be transparent is going to be helpful, both because people then can decide you know, identify a risk they weren't otherwise aware of, whether it's universities or individual researchers, but also because if somebody disagrees and 
and thinks that a particular program is legitimate, they at least see that right now it's on the blacklist, so they know, oh, I better follow up. I agree. Thanks again, Dr. Gerald, for participating in today's discussion. I really appreciate your willingness to talk. Thank you for tuning into our podcast, Enforcement and Compliance in Academic Research. That's all the time we have today. For more information about CHOKE and our institutional research compliance and foreign influence practice, please visit www.choke.com. You can also listen to more episodes of Enforcement and Compliance in Academic Research and other CHOKE podcasts in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks again for tuning in. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.